Our God has been so wild lately. He doesn't seem to listen, he doesn't obey my commands, and we can't even bribe him with treats. He's gotten so out of hand, he may even have to be put down. God is not the problem here. The problem is the people who want to be the leader of the pack. We reintroduce God. We retrain people. You're listening to The God Whisperers. Hey, you're listening to the world-famous God Whispers. I'm Craig D'Onofrio. And I, Grasshopper, am Bill Swirla. Mesta. So good. Yes, just having to just watch The Karate Kid, part one and two. Oh, that's right. You and Ted, you did The Karate Kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We did Karate. (laughs) Too old to begin the training. I've, I've renamed my cat Mr. Miyagi. Mr. Miyagi would be a great name for a cat. I think it'd be excellent. Not good for a dog, but it would really be a good name nah, for, a for a cat. better for a cat. So when, cat. when his real name is Mario, but cats can cats can sustain up to seven different names. I did not See? know that. Yeah, they do. Uh, T.S. Eliot has reminded us of that. But um, he likes to go outside, uh, supervised. And, and then when he goes outside, after he's kind of rolled around for a while... He goes and he just sits on a planter box and stares. So that's his meditation thing. Mm. So when he does that, he's now officially he's Mr. Miyagi. Deep in meditation. He is. You he know, is. Lou can uh, handle an infinite number of names, really. I mean, he's Lou. He's Lou. Your dog Louie? Yeah. He's Lulu. He's Poo Poo. He's Doo Doo. He does all these things. As long as you're holding a treat, he will answer to whatever you call him. <laughs> that's the beauty of a dog. <laughs> The, the, because the dog doesn't hear any of that stuff. He just sees treat. And he is all obedient. Yeah. That that's happens. like my, my, my brother's golden is like that. You know, if, if, she, if, if she knows there's food anywhere in the room, she's just going to sit there. And you can say anything you want to that dog. doesn't matter. She's just looking, looking, looking. And, and you know the only thing she's thinking of is cheese. That's, that's, all, that's all she wants. Cheese. Mine? 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 Now, so, now we have to we have to at the outset we we have to um tell our listeners that we are experiencing some kind of technical difficulty glitches and, uh, yeah and and Craig may sound a bit mm, fragmented pixelated otherwise deresonated or what we always say deres what is deres what's the full term for that deres um uh, uh um resolution <laughs> d d deresolutioning ing de- <laughs> Turn me off, Lord. Oh, nice. Turn me off, Lord. Yeah, it's kind of like that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I missed that. That's that, that's. Oh, that you was know, great. We, we need to hear about thirty seconds of that. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. Crank that Turn up. Turn me off, Lord. Turn me off, Lord. Turn him off. Turn me off, Lord. Turn him off. He's gonna keep singing till you turn me off. The spirit got in me and crossed my wires. The He's gonna spirit keep singing till you turn him off. To sing is my objective and my only desire. He's gonna keep singing till you turn him off. <laughs> I tried to be good, yes, I've always tried. He's gonna keep singing till you turn him off. But I ain't waterproof, so I ain't baptized. <laughs> That's my heart. Right. Right. Yeah, I just I had to that. wait for that one, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the group again? Squirrel? Oh, no, no, no. That's, uh, that's secondhand pants. Is that it? Secondhand pants? Secondhand pants, I think. Oh, it is. okay. Yeah. Uh, no, Squirrel Net Zippers, uh, kind of big Ben. Ben. Space Robot Spiritual. Space Robot Spiritual. Man, you, you are not sounding yourself today. We will attribute it to some kind of cosmic perturbation. Yeah. Okay. In deep space. In deep space and deep time. I like gas. So, um, I don't know. Deep space, deep time. You just made me think Big Bang. I had a good time with my confirmation class the other night. Uh, I've got <laughs> right there. That sentence is almost an oxymoron. Well, I've, I've good got time, all these confirmation. All these class. adults who show up. And, oh, cool. That's cool. That's and great. so we're we're talking about the first article of the creed and creation and everything else. And uh, you know, people, people, look. 
most Christians in the 20th and 21st centuries are young earthers. And I'm completely agnostic on this. I admit it. Wait, you're an, you're just admitted to being an agnostic on how old the Earth is. Oh, yeah. I thought you. I, confess, I thought you joined the ranks of Bill Maher or something. No, I, I, <laughs> I confess boldly that the Earth is somewhere between ten thousand and nineteen billion years old. Oh, nobody says nineteen. Uh, four point seven. Give it four point seven. Oh, I've heard billion. eighteen and a half. So I'm no, going with nineteen. No, no. Yeah. Well, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll go nineteen. I don't care. But, you know, none of this disproves that God created. And, and there's, there's that whole uh, question of what happened before that. Or, you know, all of a sudden it's uh, the, the universe is stretching, and all of a sudden there was like some static electricity formed, and bang, everything blew up. And then, you know, we have the singularity there. And, and uh, <laughs> well, okay, well, what was stretching the universe? What, what where... You don't just have electricity show up out of nowhere. What what caused that? <laughs> well, it's possible that there was a universe before our universe. Well, okay, oh, yeah, no, what, that's, what about that's right. that one? What that, about that right. one? You know, you got that infinite regression of what about that? Mm -hmm. And, of course, one of the kids, stinking brilliant little 12-year-old, well, where did God come from? I said, well, see, that's the thing is we admit that that's a matter of faith. And those who insist on this Big Bang just accidentally happening, but they can't give you the where did this come from, they also need to admit that that's a matter of faith. Yeah, the, the, it really is. It's, 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 a, it's presupposition no matter how you slice it. It is. So and either either God created the heavens and the earth or, or everything came out of nothing by itself, so <laughs> which, whichever, you know. Which is impossible. As well, I understand, the other the other alternative, as you alluded to, is the multiverse kind of thing. It's, it's an endless evolution of universes, so it kind of like punts in saying that there really is no beginning. But there still has to be an origin somewhere. No, well, no, it denies that. It's kind of the old Greek concept of the eternality of everything. So things go from eternity to eternity. So it's basically like like the U.S. government pushing the debt generations down the road. It doesn't Pretty really much. exist. <laughs> it's like the government debt. It can yeah, grow that's... to be, you know, $80 billion <laughs> trillion dollars or whatever, but uh, as long as we can force it down the road, it doesn't really exist for us. Yeah, and these are these are the kinds of things. I, I think you're on the right track where you basically say, in the end, so what? You know, I mean, because first of all, I mean, obviously, I, I don't care how you slice it. <laughs> things are more than 10,000 years old. Um, th there's just no way to pack everything in, into less than that. Um, whether that other number is really meaning, you know, let's say that the, the accepted number of these is 4.7 billion years old. Um, where does that come from? It comes mostly from the... The, the 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 coherence of radiometric dating, you know, when you kind of look at isotopic ratios, everything kind of points to, to that. So there's no reason to, like, say it isn't. But, you know, my real question is how useful is that? What does it, what, what does it really matter? Uh, and it only matters if you're trying to get, like, science to talk Scripture or Scripture to talk science. And I'm not sure Scripture even talks this way, so... You know. No, I I also don't think this hasn't really been an issue uh, until just a couple of hundred years ago, has it? That's true. You know, you're, you're right. I mean, the 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 I forgot when I think Bishop Usher was 17th century. He's the guy that attempted to sort of total out all the lifespans and everything, right, right, yeah, and yeah. and came up with some kind of actual date, like October 14th or something, for the creation of the world, which is completely ludicrous. Um, but oh, the uh, anniversary is coming up. You know, just, a lot of people. A lot of people soon. don't realize that that like the, the the sort of the formal young Earth six day creationism is is a nineteenth century construct. It, it came it came from the Seventh Day Adventist Church, really, <laughs> kind of reacting against Darwinism and and naturalism and all that kind of stuff. But the, you know, the the church didn't really have a formal doctrine of any of this before then. You, you'll notice, like in in the Lutheran confessions, there's no. There's no, um, there's nothing dogmatic about how old the Earth is, or how you know how many days it took for God to create it, or something like that. We have a doctrine of creation, but that's different than a doctrine of the mechanism of creation, which is what some people are trying to formulate.
Now there there are ancient religions like uh, Zoroastrianism or some other. I can't, I'm trying to think of which one in particular mm. that uh, talks about there being many gods. And oh, it's uh, one of the Platonic ones where uh, the, there was the god who screwed up and and made physical matter, and and that god just really messed everything up. And that's the god of the earth. And uh, so then you get into that whole idea that. Uh, well, he was an evil god, and then there's, you know, Jesus came to correct the evils of the evil god who created the physical universe to bring us back into his spiritual plane, and I mean, it's just really weird stuff, but that actually, that kind of thinking goes back uh, a couple, two, three thousand years, but... Yeah, probably more than that. Um, yeah, but yeah, but that's that's... Just weird religion. That's not scientific. <laughs> yeah, well, it's all weird religion. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, and science. Science is kind of funny because it, it, you know, these kind of past event historical things. It's like it's like any, um, it's like any circumstantial evidence case. You're just kind of lining up a bunch of a bunch of you know pieces of evidence and coming to the easiest, simplest conclusion as to why they are the way they are. Uh, you, you can't rerun the Big Bang, you know. It's just not going to happen. Right, you're and I don't not going to duplicate it. I don't think you'd want to from all descriptions that I've heard of that. And then you have weirdness even today because we don't know. We, we're no, we'll never know everything. So so the universe is expanding. We've all been cool. You know, we've been cool with that for a long time. But then they discovered, you know, with the Hubble telescope that the, the expansion of the universe is accelerating. Now, that's kind of interesting because usually you'd kind of expect things to kind of peter out, you know, sort of run out of energy. So you have this like big explosion and all the pieces are flying apart and they'll just eventually kind of stop or whatever, right? Right. No, wrong. They're accelerating. What's causing that to happen? Nobody knows. So, well, yeah. if space is a vacuum and it was being stretched, I guess you could kind of <laughs> like it's being sucked toward the edges that don't exist. Or See, I think I think I don't uh, know. science science and scientific method are they're at their most useful. When they're dealing with things, when it deals with things that are um, observable and testable and, and you can control your variables. And, you know, that's how we've gotten all the good stuff that we've gotten. Once you get into the very distant past or the far or far distant space or very microscopic or very fast, you know, what I would call the fringes of space and time, this is where things start to break down, kind of, you know? <laughs> and that's where all the weird theories start to come in, too. You know, everything is fine down to, like, the molecular or the atomic level, but you go beyond that, and it's literally all chaos breaks loose at that point. And then it begins to sound weird. Just, you know, you're, I'm, I'm sure you've read or read some popular versions of yeah. Chaos theory or string oh, theory. Yeah, or... that, that just makes my brain hurt. Yeah. <laughs> but these are all attempts to mathematically describe things at the fringes, you know, and it's like you really don't need even relativity for day to day life unless you, you, you're using your GPS, then you kind of do because, you know, they're, they're, you actually need um, relativity to factor in some things to make your GPS accurate. But we got to the moon. You know, on Newtonian Says physics. some people. Well, yeah, then there's I that. I think it was on a, on a soundstage somewhere in Universal Studios. But, you but, know, you know I, I, th I think you're on, you're on a really good flat. track. I think you're on a really good track because, you know, what, what happens is the Bill Mars of the world, the Richard Dawkinses of the world, all these guys are trying to basically discredit Christianity by discrediting the simplistic view of the Bible when right. it comes to scientific knowledge of the world. So they'll find things like, you know, that a bat is a bird or a whale is a fish or, or you know, the rabbit chews the cud and see, aha, that's evidence that the Bible is full of errors and you shouldn't trust it. You know, why not go this route and say, look, the Bible's written to a certain people at a certain time who have certain views of the world and it doesn't bother to change their view of the world. It just preaches God into that situation. So why don't you just take a chill pill, you know? Yeah. There are there are cultures even today that would classify, say, a bat as among the birds. Well, and It's got I, wings that flies, not I a think, mammal. Honestly, uh, a lot of, you know, what I think about this, you are a chemist. You, you, we're on a PhD track for chemistry and all the rest. And 
you know, you, you were in a world where you reproduce exo- uh, results and therefore things become laws when you can reproduce them over and over again. You, you no, know, no they don't, but that's okay. I'll let you, I'll let you go with that. Laws, laws are just laws. Theories don't become laws. They're just laws. Well, I no, you know, theories do become laws. No, they don't. Uh, but, but I you think go you go from hypothesis to theory to law, don't you? No, no, no. Theories are the final work product of science. Like, like for example, the theory of quantum mechanics will never be a law of quantum mechanics. It'll always be the theory. Theory means mechanism or model. That's all it is. Um, but you, I think you, I think what you said was kind of right. If you observe something over and over and over and over again under defined and specified conditions, then that observation becomes a law. Right. So, so, so that it's like gravity works every time. Yes, under certain circumstances. Now you have to define your situation. So, in other words, every time you do an experiment that involves gravity, you don't have to prove it. Right. You, you can take gravity for granted. But laws and facts go together. Laws are kind of like, um, they're a data point that's so reproducibly obvious you'd have to be an idiot to deny it. That's, that's, what, that's what laws are. So theories have to account for all data points and all known laws. See, but they never become one. That, the theory never becomes so a law. So what, is, what is a proven theory then? A proven theory is, is, is a theory that accounts for all the observations and there's nothing left on the cutting room floor. Okay. So then you have a theory and a proven theory. Well, it's proven theory is kind of, kind of odd, too. Um, you know, proven theory is probably a little bit like in, in, uh, in the courtroom that it's become such, it's become so commonplace. We haven't found any exceptions. So in other words, uh, as far as we can tell, this thing holds. And so, so that, that theory is considered proven. proven that's more of a mathematical thing. I don't, I'm not sure that really scientific method, scientific method doesn't prove stuff. I, I don't know where that comes from either. Hmm. Um, you know, most scientists are not, they, all they're doing is data gathering for the most part and trying to explain the data that they've gra- gathered. That's, that's what scientific method is. But, uh, I think the thing that freaks out, um, believer types is that you have to think like an agnostic as a scientist. In other words, you can't be invoking miracles, supernatural events, God, stuff like that. You can't do that because it's outside the, the, the testable parameters. It's kind of outside the system. So you got to stay inside the system. Right? right. So, yeah. So that's, that's the point with miracles is they are outside of, of the ability to reproduce and, and that sort of thing, right? Well, if you could reproduce them, then, then they're by not definition, miraculous. <laughs> they're not miraculous. <laughs> okay. So anyway, long and the short of it is, I'm simply trying to show the kids, when you get into college and you have the atheist professor who's saying, see, evolution disproves Christianity, you can say, no, it really doesn't. Um, God was able to create that way, too. Well, and, even, even, even better, evolution has nothing to do with the resurrection of Jesus right, Christ from the exactly. dead. Exactly. Boom. You know, because because you don't evolve from the dead, <laughs> so so you know it it doesn't rise and fall on the age of the earth, on the mechanism of speciation or anything else. That's a real red herring, and and I'm glad you bring that up because I really think that it's about time we just laugh at arguments like that. Right, that has nothing to do with the existence of God. Period. And and really, you can you can go and and chisel away at all the quirkinesses of of biblical literature. Go ahead. I mean, this is ancient Near Eastern literature. You don't do that with anything else. You don't see people laughing at Herodotus, Thucydides, the ancient Greeks. You know, they held to all kinds of wacky things, too. Nobody laughs at them. We study them in the classics department. Right. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, knock it off. That's not the point of the Bible. It's not there to teach science. It's there to teach salvation. Exactly. In fact, in fact, if the Bible had been written in 21st century terms, they would have thrown it out. Back in the days of Moses, this man, dude, you're on drugs. What are you? What are you talking about? <laughs> what, what do you mean back? Would have thrown what out? You know, we were talking like Genesis. Genesis oh, is, you know, that's oh, that's that's oh, that's, oh. that's uh, you know, traditionally the books of Moses. So, can you imagine some ancient Israelite reading Big Bang cosmology? They go, "What the heck?" You know. Okay, so so now <laughs> we've we've got listeners who are ready to bring us up on charges because. That's okay. Uh, apparently, we are uh, now questioning the authority and veracity of Scripture. No, we're not. We're just saying these questions don't matter. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 
Let's make this clear. You and I both believe, teach, and confess that God created everything seen and unseen. True? Even better than that. That's not, you know, uh, we we believe, teach, and confess that God has made me and all creatures. So creation is an ongoing thing. It's not a once and done. You know, that's one of the biggest problems with six-day creationism. That's just Newtonian deism. It's like God had a busy work week and then everything else just runs on autopilot. (laughs) No, it's an ongoing thing. God's always creating and the Word's always working. So every time there's light, it's because the Word says be light. You know, this this is an ongoing thing. It's not a once and done. So... So if you run over to your light switch and flip it on and off and on and off, are you controlling God? No, that's not that's not the the light he's talking about is day. I know, I'd just be stupid. But yeah, we're getting off into bigger we're getting off into so, bigger thing so, now. Yeah, See, but, I don't think any ancient Israelites think sitting around thinking, well, now how did this happen and when did it happen? Right. They want to know why. They want to know why is there light, not how did light come to be. They want to know why is there light? The Bible actually answers that quite nicely um, for us, too. <laughs> so so anyway, the, the long and short of it is simply God did all of this, and as you point out, He continues to do all of this, but ultimately what God does and has done is redeemed us through the death and resurrection of Christ, and He continues to through word and sacrament. So you know, it's just kind of a red herring that a lot of uh, atheists and fundamentalist Christians buy into that, uh, you know, science and Christianity are at odds, creationism and evolutionism are, you know, your litmus test for who's faithful and who's not, and so forth and so on. And you, you, you pointed out, it's the resurrection of Christ— if if Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead, and he said he was going to— then what about his claims? And See, we I, need to I, take those pretty serious then. I, I do that as just a, a like a, a, a thought experiment. And it's similar to exactly it's similar to what you were saying you did in your, your catechism class the other day. Is is a and I, I couch it as even if. So this is hypothetical. I'm not saying that I necessarily believe any of this, okay? But you whatever somebody throws at you, you entertain the notion, even if it's true, what you say, have you done have you proven your point? So somebody says, uh, man evolved from you know simple life over millions of years. Okay, good. all right so so even if that's true, what does that have to do with Christianity? You know, well, you hold that God made you know man out of dust. Well, what if He didn't? Let's say, let's say that's just a story. What does that have to do with Christianity? See, you can do this over and over again. Even if, even if there was never a guy named Jonah who got swallowed by a fish, even if there was never a guy named Job who had everything miraculously, you know, restored seven exactly times. Even if Genesis one to eleven is just a myth. Let's just go down that road. Let's just take it all the way. That doesn't do a thing about the death and resurrection of Jesus, does it? No, nothing, nothing, nothing. Let me ask you this then. If it's in the creeds, is it then primary doctrine? If it's in the creeds. Yeah. So like the first article of, of the Apostles' Creed, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Yeah. It, so then is creation a primary doctrine? At that level. Yeah. The way it's said, yes. That that and, and you look at the Bible, um, the twin pillars of the faith, the you know, it's like in the Psalms, the twin pillars of praise. It's always two works of God, creation and redemption. So God is the maker of all things, and he's the redeemer of all things. Um, those, those are essential. Christ, who comes as the word in flesh, is the creator. He's the creative word become the creature. So you can't—if you gut the doctrine of creation, you will gut the Christian faith. That's true. If you deny that the universe has a creator— uh, you you will get the faith, but there's nothing science could ever discover that could disprove a creator. That's just not possible. Okay, sounds right? good. See, I, I I would really like to convey to anybody, and especially kids who are studying science and the science minded, there is nothing that could be discovered in this world by our reason or our senses. There's nothing. There's no theory that a scientist could ever concoct that will do that'll put a single dent, a ding in your faith. 
it's just simply not possible unless unless you are imposing some things on the scriptures, you know. In in which case, I think it's far more profitable to go back and look at how we're reading the scriptures than to tell a bunch of evolutionary biologists that they're misreading their data. I yeah, yeah. you know, I think that that is really really. It, if you have that preachy, belligerent, atheist professor who declares that Christianity is stupid, and if you believe all these things, you're a moron and everything else, it's really good to stop and say, what exactly do you think Christianity is, Mr. <laughs> yeah, professor? That's a, that's, a great, that's a great point. And B, <laughs> what gives you the expertise in this matter, since you are, uh, say, an evolutionary biologist? Right. I'm, I'm here to learn biology. Your opinions about religion, you can have them, but that's outside the realm of this class, isn't it? See, I think you've hit on where the problem is. When, when religion becomes a science, there's going to be a problem. Right. And when science becomes a religion, there's going to be a problem. And, right. and that's, that's what I see. It's, they will butt heads when they, have, when they have gotten out of their lane and they are, they're violating their own methods. And so, you know, when, when we interpret ancient text, we have to apply ancient principles to those texts. When scientists are speaking of the material world, they got to stay out of the supernatural. They got to stay out of the—they're not philosophers, they're not theologians. They have—you know, they can measure the head of a pin, but they don't believe—there's no scientific reason to believe in angels, so you can't tell me how many can dance on it. You know, you're stuck. And, but uh, I think if you ask most Ph.D. physicists, including our buddy Cliff, are there things out there that just make you scratch your head and go, hmm— I don't get that. And I, I think most of them will say, yes, there, there are certain things that are very hard to explain. And, and you know, we're working on it, but, um, you know, right now we're stumped. We're just Like, like the writing of books, there will never be the end of things to explore and discover. Right, um, sure. I, I have a pet theory, it's just personal, that the deeper you go, and we were talking about farther out, further back, smaller, whatever— um, the less sensical it becomes. In other words, the language to describe it becomes increasingly nonsensical. And maybe that's kind of the limit. The limit is not a hard barrier. Oh, gee, we can't go there. There's not like a no trespassing sign put on knowledge. It's just that you get to the point where you, you, the mind can no longer conceive it, or we can't talk about it. And that that makes sense. You know, that's kind of how, that's how I would expect God to do that. Is is he would just make things that are just ultimately if you pull them apart so much that it becomes so intricate that you just don't you don't know what you got anymore. You ever uh, hear any lectures from David Minton? I have, yeah. Actually, I heard him at Concordia, Irvine. Yeah, he he uh, was a professor at Washington University Medical School and a really fascinating guy. But he he makes the point that as our technology has expanded and we've gone into electron microscopes and all this. The deeper we look into created matter, we find more order. It's not it's not chaotic, and uh, you know. So, as you look deeper and deeper and deeper into the creation, you find that God is just a marvelous engineer, and mm, uh, you know that yeah. he, he points out the way that a human hair grows is just really amazing. That there are little machines in your head that basically allow the hair to grow without falling out. Yeah, you know, the gears uh, basically. The engineers stuff. the engineers like the intelligent design stuff, but that yeah. only works to a certain point. It it does it really doesn't work um after it does it doesn't work beyond a certain point. In fact, it has some it's an analogy. Intelligent design is it's it doesn't prove anything. It's just an analogy. So things are like a machine and leave it to engineers who build machines to see machines in natural. Why, why do you systems. why do you hate God, Bill? Why do you hate God by poo-pooing? No, I, this I, I I don't like I don't like bad arguments that that won't hold up in no, your you, freshman year college the, class. The, the proper answer uh, to why you hate God is because you're a sinner. That's that's why. <laughs> hey, uh, I've got a question from the Facebook. That oh, I thought we could from take up. The, it's the Facebook. The Facebook. Yeah, the Facebook. you use the Google, and then you can go to the Facebook. The Facebook. Okay. <clears throat> so the question is, is uh, I'll, I'll not read the whole thing, but can grace be abused? If too much grace is given, won't people abuse it? Uh, grace was abused, spit on, whipped, slapped, ridiculed, lied on, impaled, speared in the side. Anyway, he's talking about Jesus, of course. But the, the question is... Can grace be abused? 
if too much grace is given, won't people abuse it? Well, (laughs) my tendency is always to deconstruct the question. Um, Grace is not quantifiable, so there's not a matter of too much or too little grace. You can't really go there. So, so, so the the whole premise is faulty to begin with. You you can't say, okay, here's a little grace because I can't trust you with a lot of grace because you'll abuse it. So it's not like, say, alcohol, where you can have one drink, but if you have two, you know, can't be responsible for your behavior. so that's that's not that's kind of a Roman Catholic way of looking at grace. You know that it, in 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 Catholic circles, that grace is kind of a quantifiable power. Um, so you 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 kind of get you go, it's like the filling station. You go to the church to get more grace to do more good to get more grace to do more good. Um, but but can grace can, can grace be misused? Can good be used uh, for evil? Sure. I mean, that's that's the nature of moral freedom, I suppose, huh? So uh, I have my answer, but I'm curious about—I I want to press that a little further with you. Hmm. How, how could grace be abused? In what ways? Well, I think St. Paul uh, anticipates that a couple of times in Romans chapter 6, where he says, uh, "'Shall we sin that grace may much more abound?' rhetorically speaking. Right. Or then secondarily, he asks a little bit later on, uh, shall we sin since we are no longer under law, but under grace? So those questions, I think, anticipate uh, the way in which grace can be abused or misused, and that is as a license for the very thing that grace exists, you know, so as a license to sin. Um, So, and and Paul's anticipated answer in both of those verses is of course not. That's 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 unthinkable. But the the answer is not to parcel out grace in smaller quantities. Um, the answer is in the proper distinction of the law and the gospel. The, the question is the even the questions Paul poses are illegitimate. Shall we sin that grace may much more abound? Who on earth asks that? Not not faith. That's unbelief that asks that. That's the old Adam asking that. Yeah, you you pretty much summed up exactly what I would say in that this is a law and gospel imperative that there there cannot be forgiveness and mercy if you don't confess that there's something to be forgiven of and shown mercy for. So exactly. you, you can't just have gospel without law. Uh, but instead, no. You 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 must have you must have both together always. Right, you, right. you cannot have one without the other. That that's 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 something that that we we sometimes think of a gospel as like law of gospel is a switch first one then the other. Right. But, but they've got to be there it simultaneously. So grace is unmerited favor. So right. w- when you say unmerited favor, you realize you don't merit this favor because I'm broken. And I'm sinful, and I need favor that I can't merit because I can't stop myself from sinning. Therefore, I'm <laughs> sinful, so I need grace. Yeah, that, that's right? that's kind of good. The reason it's unmerited in the first place is because you're a sinner, and you can't See? merit it. <laughs> so, so the very fact that it's there tells you that tells you you know that y- what you are and who you are. Here's the problem with the whole thing is that there's 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 no like neat logical resolution to this thing the the tension has to exist right so so to get back to your the question that you the, from the facebook is uh can grace be abused and is there such a thing as too much grace the answer to that is only the old adam would ask such a question Oh, that's good. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> the, the the new man in Christ says, "Give me more of it. Can't get enough." <laughs> right. So Diedrich Bonhoeffer talked about cheap grace, and he's uh, kind of a pietist. I'm not the hugest Bonhoeffer guy, but no. I I do appreciate the point that in that gospel reductionism, that uh, well, we aren't going to talk about the law anymore, kind of thing. Um, we do cheapen grace when we don't realize how costly it was for Christ. And when we, when we act as though, ah, you know what, Christ covered it, I'd do whatever I want, you know, according you know, actually, to the old Adam, you know? I, I'll, I'll go a little, little further or different. I don't think you can cheapen grace because it's free. <laughs> you well, can't cheapen No, that, there's that side free. of it also, right, <laughs> right. Um, but, but to use grace... 
in denial of Christ, to use grace um, against God is is the ultimate in unbelief. Right, right. You know, it's like there's no such thing really as evil, but there's good used against God. That is evil. Evil, evil is an action. It's it, it it's it's not it's not a thing. There are no evil things. God made everything, so everything's good. But but there are there is good used against God. And so in grace, God's unmerited favor is used against God. That is the ultimate perversity of unbelief. So a lot of this comes back to the simile. That that we are saints I think and sinners does. at the same time, and and the grace is is there for the repentant man. The, the grace is there for the saint who says, "I have a savior, and I have mercy, and thanks be to God." And and but the sinner is more inclined to say, "Hey, you know what? Jesus died for that sin too. I can just do it. It's not a problem." Exactly. Right? You know, there there's there's an old Adam response to the gospel. Right. We, we, you know, like for and there's a new man Don't response. Don't worry about to it. The, You're covered. Don't worry about it. There's a new man response to the law too. You know, that, and that's that is that the law is good. It's holy. It's great. It's a, it's a, it describes exactly who Christ is and who I am at Christ. This is really great. Uh, of course, the old Adam sees it differently, but the gospel is the same way. the 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 new man says. I'm free from all that. I'm free from the law. I'm free from death. I'm free from my own old Adam. I'm, I'm no longer under the bondage and law of sin. And the old Adam hears the gospel and says, yippee, I can sin even more. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> but, it's, but no, you nailed it. Because, of, because the, of the dynamic of law and gospel, you have the dynamic of Simo being both righteous and unrighteous at the same time and having this kind of double reaction to, to even the grace of God. So back to the question, no, you you can't limit the grace of God. This this would deny grace itself. This would make grace something merited. I promise to be grace gracious to you, uh, provided you 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 do good with it. Promise, <laughs> you know that's merited. That's merited favor, which isn't grace. I think probably a lot of what comes behind this question is the idea that church is a reformatory to make people behave better. Yeah, we like to th- we like to think that it's certainly a help. I, I mean, I think the church, the community of the church, is is a kind of it's like a support group for the sin addicted. You know, it's kind of like yes. the ultimate, the ultimate, the ultimate twelve step without twelve steps. It's just two steps, really. Die, rise. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> but but it's it's like the ultimate support group for sinners. You know, we're sin addicted. We can't free ourselves. Um, and, and, and everybody will agree with us. They'll say, yeah, that's right. That's right. And if we try to deny it, if we say we have no sin, then a whole community of people are going to say to us, and you're deceiving yourself and the truth is not in you. Right. Right. (laughs) So we call each other out. I, you know, I love this. And yet at the same time, God who is gracious will forgive us all, every time, whenever we confess our sins, you know, it's not just an if then it's whenever. Right. Right. A confession must be met with absolution. Right. And and grace always precedes. It's always there. It's not like uh, it's, it's not a game of like spiritual chicken. Okay. I'll forgive you if you repent. I'll repent if you forgive me. Right. You know. <laughs> there is no if to the gospel. And and that's that's one of the problems I see that pops up so often in the churches. I don't know if you're repentant enough. And so I I don't know if I should pronounce absolution because I'm not sure if you're repentant enough. Yeah, well, and that's where that's where pietism came in. Yeah. Because, because pietism that you know, and granted pietism was was kind of trying to push away from the scholastic view of, of I, explain that the for faith. the home for those playing. Well, you know, it was an attempt to kind of like yeah, let's put it this way. Here's what it'd be like. Okay, so you love your wife, and and that's a very complex set of emotions, and so you know it's a very intricate, complicated relationship. But it would be like breaking down your love for your wife to a set of biological principles and chemical reactions, and then just kind of writing a textbook on it. You know, if you do that, you will kill all notions of love, <laughs> right? So, so the the scholastics tried to use you know categories and and logic and syllogisms basically to make sense of the Christian faith to put everything into kind of tidy order, and everything kind of hangs on everything else you know. And the, by the way, this is where you get this notion that well, if you don't believe in a, a literal six day 
you know, creation in natural history, then the whole gospel is destroyed. You know, no, it's it, your system is destroyed, maybe, but but not the gospel. The gospel is a little more robust than that. So, but the the scholastics, you know, what they're trying to do is they're trying to make something that could be handed on in book form. That could be, you know, sort of codified. It's like codifying the Christian kind of, faith. Kind of a systematic theology kind of thing. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. I mean, and and pietism came out, it was, came along and said, you know, there's more than that. You know, and that's where you get like Arndt and Spainer and the idea that this this is a matter of the heart, that this is a, a real relationship with a, a God uh, who bled to death to save you. And, and you're more than just... Uh, yeah, you're more than just a mind collecting propositional truths into a book, and so you know it, it all makes sense how this arose. But but then it then it goes then it goes off into the other ditch where hey, you're not contrite enough. You don't feel sorry enough. You you haven't been working on that besetting sin, and so we're going to withhold forgiveness from you until we see some improvement here. And um, how, how do you actually <laughs> qualify to be a judge of that? Yeah, that's a good question. But first of all, by ignoring the beam in your own eye. That's, that's, <laughs> well, there's a, that's a start, yeah. Step one, step one, <laughs> ignore the beam in your own eye, because after all, the speck in your brother's eye is so much more annoying and visible. <laughs> yeah, we've got a lot of that going on. Yeah. So um, what's the solution? Uh, I, a poor, miserable sinner. You know, I, right. I really think it's, it's, it's that level playing field of the whenever you see something really bad in somebody else, it's at work in you, too. And your big problem is that you don't see it. <laughs> right, right. I am so thankful for Romans 7. I tell you, that... that I'm thankful for Romans. That, I mean, the, the book of Romans. But, but that chapter in particular uh, really set me free in, in so many ways. That, that you know, Paul struggles with this, with this constant sin thing that's driving him crazy. You know, I, the new man in me hates this. Why do I do this garbage? And the old man delights in it, but he needs to be killed. And, you know, why Why do I keep doing this? And then finally he comes to, I need a deliverer. Thanks be to Christ Jesus. Yeah, oh, wretched you know? man that I yeah, am. Yeah. You know, behold, in me that is in my flesh dwells nothing good. Right. You know and, what, the, and, the and, and, you, and you know what people do with that. They say, "Oh, that was Paul before he was converted." I know. I grew up with that. It's Total, really ridiculous nonsense. Yeah. I mean, first of all, it doesn't even fit the flow of the book. Romans is a very well organized, um, unlike this show. <laughs> Romans is a very well organized treatise, almost. You know, Paul is laying it all out so that the Romans trust him to give him mission money so he can go to Spain. That's that's why he wrote the book. But they don't know him. They know of him. But they don't know him, so he's giving the whole treatise. So, you know, it flows beautifully. This is right out of baptism. Romans 6 is baptism, justification applied. And Romans 7 is really, 7 and 8 together are the sea mold. This is life uh, in the flesh, life in the spirit. And it's not first this, then that. It's both and at the same time. Yep. And yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, although, I hate to say it, but Galatians 5 actually says it a little clearer. <laughs> and Galatians is kind of Galatians is kind of like a Romans rough draft, you know, because uh, it was written many years before Romans was written, but Galatians 5, you know, he talks about the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit, and he talks about how we're both flesh and spirit and these two are at war with each other so that we do not do what we want. Mm, I think either mm -hmm. way I think it works. I think it cuts both ways. We're not as good as we should be, and we're not as bad as we could be. <laughs> the new man restrains the old man. The old man gets in the way of the new man a lot too, right? So there you have it. Oh, wretched men that cool. we are. Yes, indeed. Um, I think. I think. What did? What did? I think one of my professors. I think it was Bill Schmelder who used to say, "Wild you, Bill, you you must read Romans once a month." He said, regardless of anything else you're reading. Stop everything and read the book of Romans once a month. That's good advice. And and I couldn't, I can't argue. He also said we should read the uh, Article 4 of the Apology a few times a year, too. That's That can be, like, really tough sledding. Melanchthon isn't exactly St. Paul, for one thing, but he's not exactly scintillating reading. But, but he's right. You know, the article on justification. I, I told you that he kicked me out of class once, didn't I? What'd you do? I, I said that I thought that Martin Stefan got railroaded, and I saw it as oh, a political no. hack job. Oh, oh. 
what were you thinking? <laughs> I didn't realize that he was somehow related to the Walthers. So th- there was there was Is one he, problem. Was he related? His I, wife. I think well, it was his wife. Was his, uh, his wife's a Banken? John. This is a, the daughter of, of John. Part Banken. of the Walther lineage or something. I didn't know. I don't yeah. think so. I don't think so. No, I, I took him was... off because I kind of went down. I'm like, what the heck? Nice. That is ridiculous. Nice. And that wasn't even a soundboard sound effect. I put I on the, the, uh, the Do Not Disturb is on. <laughs> How does that happen when the Do Not Disturb is on? You have a new operating system. I know. I don't get this Mojave thing yet. Um, yeah, but anyway, I kind of went down the time frame. Martin Stefan, for those of you who don't know, first bishop of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, he brought them over. <laughs> no, falsehood. The, there was no Missouri Synod at the time he was the, the self-appointed the bishop. The only bishop, I guess you could say. <laughs> he He's the guy who brought everyone over from Saxony and everything. Hey, and how did they get him? Okay, this 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 tells you that what, what things never change. How did they get rid of Martin Stefan? Kangaroo Court. Allegations. Yes. Women made allegations. Uh oh. I thought we weren't going to go there. Yeah, I did, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're going to move off. We did. We just we just touched base. We just you know, just all, we lightly brushed right. the issue. Right. But but no, okay. they they did they did it. They and and in in one twenty four hour period. Yes. In in one Genesis here. In one Genesis day. Um, <laughs> one yom. They, they excommunicated him. They defrocked him right. and they, they rode him across the river. Well, they, they didn't just excommunicate him. him. They they had a trial, then they excommunicated him, then they strip searched him, yes. sent him across the river, and they, exiled him. He's into lucky. He's that, lucky they didn't dump him in Illinois naked <laughs> into that godforsaken land called Illinois. And they kept all his property, which the family still wants back to this day. And they should have it back. Yeah. Well. That's, this is we're so, talking Lutherans here, but <laughs> so but what you're not hearing, and and I spent some time down at the Saxon uh, village, and and discovered a few things. E, you know, they lost a big chunk of their wealth on the boats coming over because one of the boats sank, and then, the one with all the gold in the vestments, right? And, and so then they show up to America, and they come up from New Orleans up to. Uh, the beautiful Perry County, Missouri, where there's more rocks than dirt. Well, you know the reason for that. You know why they settled there? Because the land was cheap? No, because the know. land looked like the crappy farmland in Germany. Oh, well, there was rocks. There, were, yes, there were rocks that's everywhere. Right. This, this is right? like our homeland, and they got all nostalgic. <laughs> so, so there are rocks everywhere. And, of course, they've been told that in America, the land of opportunity, you throw seeds out your back window at night, and in the morning you have a crop, and it's wonderful and glorious. That's and, what they say about the medical marijuana and, people up north. But uh, never mind. Okay, moving on. I've got a good story about the medical. I just got an ad that it cures cancer. Medical marijuana cures cancer. I, uh, you know, bunions, warts, <laughs> anyway, Crohn's um, disease. Man, it's, it's so just they a... have been told this. Stefan, meanwhile, is riding around in the Cadillac, the Cadillac of of carriages of his, of his day. Right, yes. he's he's right. this very nice carriage, and mm-hmm. he's he's having French silk vestments imported from France because they lost all their vestments on the boat. And, and who can argue? And so he's living the highlight, <laughs> uh, the high life, and all these Germans are digging rocks out of the grand, ground trying to grow a turnip or something. You want to... You know what? Here's here's the oh. deal. I'm Italian the take, and Irish. What's, what's I'm the Italian and Irish, here? but yeah. the take-home is this. If you waste Germans' money... They will kill you. (laughs) And that's all there is to it. If you want my opinion, Stefan's greatest crime, if he touched the girls or not, I don't know. His greatest crime is he blew their money. Yeah. And he had to go. You know, it's kind of curious. And that's what got me kicked out of Wild Bill's class was that story right there. You you actually did that whole narrative in Pretty front much. of Schmelder? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm surprised you're in the ministry. I just came right? out of politics. You know, I'm a young guy fresh out of politics, wow. and I see the BS on the wall. And I'm like, no, I've seen these railroad jobs. I've I've done these railroad jobs. I know these railroad jobs. He was he was very he was uh he was railroaded. No, not we're, we're on the the he refers to Bill Schmelder, not oh. Martin Stefan. Okay, but, sorry. But Professor Schmelder was was uh, first of all he was very he was probably one of the most learned people I know. Brilliant next man. to next yes. to uh, Doctor Sulflo on the the intricacies, the minutia of the history of the Missouri Synod. 
you know, th- this is not uh, people outside the Senate don't study the Senate. We're just kind of like a little sect, a little cult. We're, you know, it's kind of like Brigham Young. You know, much, yeah. Same time period. But but, uh, um, you know, the the story is it, and it's frontier and it's immigrant. It's It's just got a lot of nuance. But Schmelder knew that history, but he was staunchly loyal to CFW Wall. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I found and that that's, out the hard That's way. where you pushed his button hard. I mean, if you would have mentioned Wilhelm Leia, the other great reformer who was responsible for the other seminary uh, in the Missouri Synod, and a lot of uh, pioneer pastors, you know, the, the frontier pastors, uh, you mentioned Leia and you'll, you'll get a, a lecture too. But yeah, if you speak kindly of Martin Stefan, that was probably a... <laughs> Career limiting move. <laughs> well, it was just for one class. It's, Do you know it's, that it's that not Stephon's... like I was banished forever? So it's just for. And there was only about ten minutes left in the class. So. Stefan went on uh, after he found his clothing uh, on the other uh, in in Illinois. He he, uh, he founded a congregation, Redbud. Redbud, that's right. Yeah, and his name is revered to this day. I believe Paul Schriever attends that church. Yeah, no. There's a, yeah. there's still a congregation that goes back to his day, and and his name is revered to this day. I mean, there, there are still people, family included, and others, who honestly believe he didn't get a fair shake, and and that he was basically railroaded out of town, and they wanted his property back. Too, but I am the, willing to way. wager that he did not order any silk vestments from France. Probably would have. I don't know if he I was think, in a really. I bet. He, I bet he he learned his his lesson on that one. So, you know, God's 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 perfect strength once again hidden under weakness. Uh, and you what know what? You, the the kind of that kind of waste has never never gone anywhere either. I mean, it's still in the what? church. It, it the, just wastefulness in general. It's still in the church. It's never gone anywhere. The it's, the church the church is a, a funny it's a funny creature because you know, Spiritually speaking, it's the body of Christ and the bride of Christ and all of these things. And and it is the union of all believers throughout time in, in Christ. It's, it's a marvelous thing. And, you know, we'll see it one day. But institutionally speaking, it's a mess. It, it has survived 2,000 years of what can only be best described as gross mismanagement and every attempt, both from outside and inside, to screw it up, you know? <laughs> And and somehow it keeps going. I think the on I think the ongoing presence of the church, in spite of man's best effort to drive it into the ditch, is a miracle. <laughs> it's certainly a sign of divine intervention. Something, yeah. I, you know. It, it, you know the the one of the slogans of the Reformation. One of the slogans that that uh, that that Walther put on on publications like their Lutheranery was the, the word of the Lord endures forever. And and it's really testimony to that that in spite of all this mess, and and the mess even goes deeper. You know, when you look at that immigration crowd, you know, why were they even coming to America? They're a bunch of religious separatists. They pro- most of them weren't persecuted. There was no persecution. Uh, going on. You know, after Napoleon routed Europe, and then King Wilhelm the Third said that uh, Germany will be a united people with a united language and a united religion, and those unionistic churches where the Lutherans were expected to compromise to the Calvinists. It was true that. in Prussia, but it was not true in Saxony. See, and that's the thing. The Saxons yeah. weren't. You know, Martin Stefan had a huge church in Dresden. I did and, not know that. Yeah, and Walter, Walter, he was like the confessional guy of his day. All the young pastors flocked around yeah, him. Yeah, I did know that. But but I he had these aspirations of of bringing the whole the whole thing to kind of a land where they were free to practice their religion purely, you know. So oh, was another purity cult. Oh, utopian. Hate that. It's it's the utopian thing, you know, yeah. where you you get the idea that if we could just do it, you know, in, in we we could form a little little colony and and we could the kingdom of God will come to the earth right in our midst, you know. And it's kind of odd. It, in a, in a way, it takes its place in the greater 19th century ethos of the Mormons, the Seventh-day Adventists, all kinds of other groups that tried in their own way to form their little utopian religious cults. So there you have it. You know what's interesting, and and you see this over and over again even today, is that, uh, well, for example, you and I were once considered arch-conservatives, 
and now we are condemned as uh, as impure liberals because we dare to talk about these things. Well, it also in in a closed in a closed group in a closed group in a polarized environment, um, whoever's got the kind of power is going to run off the other side. Well, there's and, that too, and, yeah. and so eventually the other side is gone, either by they die or attrition or they leave or whatever else. And so then the group has to kind of come to a new equilibrium. So it's it's very possible that if you are on the right at a particular time, you could find yourself on the left uh, down the road because the left is gone. The former left is right, gone. Right. Everything just shifts. Yeah. Yeah, and, it's and like if, it's if like you on don't a boat. shift with it, you end up kind of like, oh well, there's interest now. It, it's, well, it's like if you if you got a, if you got a hundred people on a boat and fifty are on the port side and fifty are on the starboard side, and and twenty five people fall off of one side, um, you have to redistribute the load in order for the. Yeah, there's that. Yeah. <laughs> See, so you got that. Hey, speaking of Mormons, yeah, I I took note that the. The 171-year-old Mormon Tabernacle Choir is getting a new name. The uh, the LDS LSD no, Tabernacle no, Choir. No LDS either. LDS and Mormon are out now in, in official Wait, L- Mormondom. Latter Day Saints is out. Yeah, and especially the abbreviation LDS. The the, the heretofore the the choir is going to be renamed. Uh, this is a long name. I, I'm, I haven't checked the acronym yet. Uh, it'd be TCTS. The Tabernacle Choir at Temple Square. Interesting. What, what is the uh, what is the Mormon Church called now? Well, okay, so the new name is the most tangible and significant change. I'm reading from the Deseret News, so this is straight from the horse's mouth, so to speak. Um, Where is it the other end? <laughs> Be nice. Come on. It says yet to comply uh, made yet to comply with President Russell M. Nelson's August announcement. Here we go. That the church will drop the nicknames Mormon. So Mormon is considered a nickname. Okay. And LDS, those letters, in most uses and employ either the full name of the church or the phrases Church of Jesus Christ. Uh, re- restored Church of Jesus Christ or Latter Day Saints. So, so three phrases are officially acceptable: the Church of Jesus Christ, Restored Church of Jesus Christ, or Latter Day Saints. So there. Wow. And the, the choir uh, also, its orchestra will now be the orchestra at Temple Square. By the way, I have childhood memories of growing up every Sunday morning. My dad, my dad always listened to the radio at breakfast. Uh-huh. Okay, and usually it was the news. He like he, my dad was like a news junkie. He just read uh, newspapers, news magazines, and watched the news. That's he just loved the news. Um, I kind of have that habit too. I I just watch the news. I don't. I fall asleep during it, but I watch the news like my dad. Um, but. Sunday morning, we would we'd be listening to the radio and eating breakfast, getting ready for church. And what would come on uh, at about seven thirty in the morning while we're eating breakfast? But and it, it was without fail. I can still hear the theme song, um, but the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. There was a program from 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 Temple Square in Salt Lake City, and and they would sing hymns. The the you know the sort of the yes. chestnut hymns of well, the faith. It's fantastic choir. <laughs> yeah, Just, I mean they they're amazing. They I realize they always I, have been. It's it's taken me a long time to realize that in my spiritually formative years growing up in in my parents' house, that my preparation for going to church was to listen to a half an hour of the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, the year is 1993. Young Craig and his buddy Steve are driving out to seminaries. Steve was my friend who just drove out with me to keep me company. And we stopped in Salt Lake City along the way. We, we took a detour to go hang out with, uh, with uh, Dave Anderson. Okay. He was, and he grew up... Uh, he, he grew up Mormon and is now Missouri Senate, of course. And... Um, so anyway, we, we stopped in and stayed a, a couple of nights and just hung out with him. And uh, he said, hey, you want to go down to the tabernacle, do the tour and, you know, all that? And I said, yeah, let's do that. 
So they took us on this tour, and of course there's the main parts you're not allowed to go into because you're a filthy Gentile or whatever. I don't know what they call us. Most most parts, Gentile. actually. I yeah. mean, uh, a lot of times they'll do these big tours of temples that are being built before they're actually consecrated. Oh, yeah, then they so rip out the carpeting of... and repaint it and everything. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Yes. They do. Spray down the walls. Yeah, they <laughs> de-louse it and everything. Yeah. Anyway, so we went into the, the main worship area where everybody gathers that's not in the temple. Um, it, it's, I, I don't know what it is, but it's it's this big building. And they're bragging about the acoustics in here are so glorious, and it seats probably twelve hundred people. I would guess a big place. And uh, they said we're gonna we're gonna turn on a little music just so you can get an idea of the acoustics and how fantastic it is in here. What comes on? A Mormon mighty, Tabernacle Choir singing "A Mighty Fortress." No. <laughs> Now known as the Tabernacle Choir at Temple Square. But, yes. Uh, yeah. A mighty fortress, no yeah, less. Yeah, they're singing on Festiburg, and I'm just like... Auf uh, Deutsch? No, no, no. They're oh. just singing Mighty Fortress. The Bulwark, the bulwark translation? A bulwark? <laughs> never failing? I don't know. I just remember my jaw hit the floor, and I started cracking up. Oh, like, it's, you, have, that, you people rich. have no idea. That, that's that's just totally rich. <laughs> well, you know, here's, here's a kind of an interesting thought on the way out, um, is... There's, yeah, right. Technically, okay, Mormons aren't aren't part of the Orthodox Christian orbit, but I, they're I trying to make it look like they are. They are definitely trying to make it look like they are. And, and here's the thing: I don't know if you've got, I don't know if you know a lot of Mormons, but a lot of Mormons sound awfully Christian. They don't. They don't really kind of get the kind of peculiar Mormon teaching oh, stuff. Oh, dude, and, no. No, are you are you agreeing with me? Is well, that a well, no? You're wrong, the, or the, it's the game that they play now? Is is they they induct you and they they make it sound like they're a mainline evangelical denomination, mm-hmm. and then once you're in for three, four, five years, then they drop the bomb on you, and if you're good enough, you too can be a god of your own planet. Yeah, it's like, but what? The, <laughs> but but here's here's the problem: is is uh, it seems like, and maybe it's just my limit. This is just anecdotal, but a lot of the people I know never really get to that level. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, and and so here's my here's my crazy thought. You remember a long time ago, you know, the Worldwide Church of God, which was kind of way out on the fringe. You know, they had like this sort of mass repentance, this yes. mass aha that goes, "Well, wait a minute, this." <laughs> <laughs> this ain't right, and and all of a sudden they're kind of in the orbit. Could the same thing happen to the Mormon Church? Do you think that because there's there there there's close ties? Their quirky teachings are really quirky, but they're off. They're kind of off to the side and right. stuff. And and I'm wondering whether somewhere down the road that all of this kind of like just they end up inside inside the orbit, not realizing it. Is that I, possible? I have often wondered that. And, you know, the, there is also a thing where they they have the Book of Mormon and the Bible. Are right, there, Exa- are there exactly, exactly. And That's God's right. Word does not return void. And so, you know, you might show up to a Mormon church and uh, we're reading the Bible. Maybe, maybe we zoned out on the Book of Mormon part, or maybe they didn't read it. I don't know what goes on there. Uh, you know, could one come to faith in a, in a Mormon church? See, I remember our buddy Chris Roseboro. I remember he did a thing once where he showed how you can actually preach the gospel from the Book of Mormon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I need to hear that one. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking. Okay, but you know, I, I'm just I'm thinking out loud. I'm not, I'm I'm not saying they're in the orbit of Nicene Orthodoxy by any stretch of the imagination. But I'm I'm just wondering sometimes, and you know how it is in the popular mind, because the the, the your average believer, your pew sitter, your whatever, right. doesn't really kind of like take in all the nuances right. of the faith that they they're just kind of like hanging on to a few a few grasp holds here and there. And what if they unwittingly are hanging on to Christ and Him crucified for the forgiveness well, of their okay. sins? <laughs> so I know we've got to get running here, but there's a book I can't remember the name of it, and I I was just thumbing through it one day. And it is written by a guy who grew up Muslim, and he encountered some Christians, and he started reading the Quran. He, he was looking for all the passages about Jesus, 
in in the Quran. Right. And he discovered that in the Quran, it actually speaks higher about Jesus than it does about <laughs> Muhammad. Go figure. Okay. I, I mean, it, it acknowledges certain things, like Jesus was born of a virgin and he lived a sinless life, and right. Muhammad, you know, none of that with Muhammad. And and so he started saying, wait a minute, what, what's up with Jesus? And He's so having a moment. It yeah. kind of led him to the Bible, and he became a Christian. See, that's what I'm saying, is, is God seems... Uh, over the years, to be rather resourceful. <laughs> yeah, he's clever. And, he's and very clever. He, you know, at one level, <laughs> you could think this that this is part of the greater Mormon deception. You know, they're hiding their Mormonism, which is kind of the trend. Everybody kind of hides right. their tribal their tribal label these days. But, but on the other hand, by doing that, they also run the risk of losing their Mormon distinctiveness, too. Yes, right. And, uh, they get watered down. Yeah, well, you know, so eventually the Mormon, the now the Tabernacle Choir Temple Square is going to be replaced by a praise band in Temple Square, and they're just going to be another <laughs> big box evangelical church. Or so, who knows? It's just like the, it's like the Friends churches in Whittier. Those are all Quakers. I don't think there's anybody sitting around in a circle waiting for the Holy Spirit no, to shake somebody, no. you know? They got a band. And with a drum kit, and they got a there. pastor, and they've got all yeah. that stuff going on there. So, so, well, maybe maybe Bill Hybels can find a new gig in the Mormon Church. Who knows? Stay stay tuned, right? <laughs> all right, hey, it's been great. You can yep. uh, follow us on Facebook and, and like us. We need to be liked. We have this need to I be do. liked. Like, yeah, spe- love me, especially love me. especially Craig. Uh, subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and any other podcast player. Uh, you can email us at godwhispers at gmail.com, and you can uh, have joy, and I mean joy, of the full archive of God Whispers, going back 10 years, no less, at godwhispers.org. Thanks for listening. Till next time. Shake it back! Woo!